Okay, so uh, we do have one more panelist that's coming. Um, she is not here right now, and I'm hoping she will be here soon, or I will hear from her. I have not seen an email from her yet. Um, so my name is Crystal Mazur. I am a freelance writer and game developer. I have written on games such as Chicago by Night, uh, Let the Streets Run Red, and Player's Guide, which just recently released. Um, I've also worked on Never Going Home, Hacking Good Doggos. Um, I am the lead developer for Pip System, and um, as, as well as uh, one of the writers for it, and a whole bunch of other game lines. Um, and I have some wonderful panelists up here that are also going to be more of the, the focus. I'm mostly the moderator. Um, but um, I'm going to have them introduce themselves. Two more for tickets. Two more for tickets. All right. Uh, hi, I'm Kennedy. Um, I uh, uh, worked on a lot of things in the 20 years I've been in this industry. Um, I've worked with Crystal on Never Going Home. Um, I was one of the writers on Heckin' Good Doggos. Uh, I work on the Star Trek Adventures line. And uh, most recently, I worked with Renegade, and I worked on My Little Pony. So as you can tell, this would be a very weird panel for me to talk about horror, <laughs> considering the last thing I did was talking about ponies trying to make apple jam pancakes. So that sounds horrible. Yeah. That sounds like horror. Nothing beats apple jam pancakes and Iron Maiden in the morning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So hi, I'm John Thompson. Uh, I'm part of leadership at Rook and Rasp. I start off with... Uh, Passion Nerdly podcasts, uh, working for Southgate Media Group, and had a few things with them, Tome Travelers, Dice Warriors, and I do uh, actual plays on Channel Right, Rogue and Rasp. I have started writing and gaming uh, for Pip System. I'm in uh, Never Going Home, and I just uh, finished up Kickstarter for my game, uh, Gutter Punk. So. Awesome. Um, and also, I did get an email from Liz. She is very, very lost right now, so apparently she's in the ICC. Hopefully she gets here. She's in the bigger room. Yeah. <laughs> she's probably in the bigger room. In the bigger room with one person in attendance. Yeah. <laughs> they both got the email. Nobody else did. Oh, oh my God. We're so angry. <laughs> okay. Um, so, we, it, how many of you were at my other panels, 301 and 101, or Horror on the Tabletop? Okay, cool. Um, how many of you have never actually played or GM'd a horror game before? Fantastic. Okay, how many of you are coming here to learn a little bit more about maybe something like long-running campaigns? Fantastic. That was kind of where I was hoping that would head to. <laughs> this is more in my favor. Okay, so um, what I would, I would really like to do is because a lot of us do horror as a, like a one-shot, right? How many of you have just done one-shots with horror? Because you're like, everybody dies at the end, I know this. Okay, so um, we're going to talk a little bit about how to do a long-running campaign with horror and how that plays out. How do you plan for that? Um, and like games that help to support that, Okay. So, what I would like to start off with is, what is the difference between a long-running campaign versus like a one-shot or like a three-shot or something like that? Like, what are the differences when you're planning as a GM? Because I'm assuming most of you are GMs and wanting to kind of learn a little bit more about this. Cool. So, to me, it's the difference between um, a firecracker and a bonfire. And uh, both are great. 
but the firecracker is for the short-term game it's very much like you're going to light it and then you're going to get the explosion soon and it's going to be really loud it's going to be over really quickly but that's the plan because sometimes you don't want the bonfire you want the firecracker whereas the bonfire is more like okay it takes a while to get started the heat's growing the flames are going up you have to put in more wood occasionally to keep it going but eventually you get the big denouement and both are really good ways to play it, but that's how I view it like conceptually. Okay. Uh, honestly, it's about the feet. For me, there's a lot of feel to it, uh, especially working with uh, action plays and things like that. When you're looking at a one shot, you are jamming everything you possibly could into like a three, four hour mark, uh, especially like convention games are a lot like a one shot. So you're taking everything and pushing it in there and uh, versus a campaign, you're talking about a lot more emotional investment, a lot more of working people into what their characters are doing and character growth, which doesn't really happen in a one shot. So. Okay. And uh, for me, I think the difference is, I'm gonna use um, Warhammer, for instance. When we do, when you guys do like the table, like the uh, war game, like there is like mass slaughter, right? <laughs> and there are like full armies that are just getting annihilated. And then you have Wrath and Glory, which is an RPG. And uh, it's not actually written for the characters to be killed off really quickly because you have build points and stuff like that. So you have to shift your thinking in that where it's not wholesale slaughter of the characters. They're a little bit more, I'm going to say this in very, very light terms because nobody is a hero in Warhammer, but they are the <laughs> heroes in Warhammer in the fact that they are going to continue the story arc. And you can't continue the story arc in something like that when you just kill everybody and stuff just drops off. So that's kind of how I view it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, sorry, I'm paying attention to see, hopefully I can help Liz find where we are um so um what i want to do is now that we have that in place um i want to talk about consent and uh safety tools i always talk about these in every horror panel and they are very very important for me um if you don't use con uh, consent or safety tools in your home games um a lot of times you you know the people that are very, there for a very, very long time. However, I do encourage you to really check them out um, because they can be very, very helpful. So what are some of the consent tools that you guys like to use and some of the um, safety tools and stuff like that in a game? Uh, so I'm, I'm definitely big on safety tools. Uh, I start off with lines and veils. I also try to approach players individually and discuss uh, what you know what their things are uh, trust me when you're when you're working with people and you are working on the fly and dealing with people rapidly you're gonna be surprised you know and conventions again not too different you're gonna find people coming to your table that have very different uh, desires wants and things that they just can't lines that they cannot cross so th those are definitely things I use and then also campaign wise it's about checking in uh, because trust me, something's gonna come up. I, I've had, uh, I, you know, I'm not gonna go into things that would be triggering here, but there are things that can come up later that will blow your mind that you, that you might have people on the table that do not want, so. When I think of consent in horror games, um, and for now, I'm only talking about specifically horror, not an action horror, because, you know, the genres are slightly different. 
when I think about horror, I know that when we sit down, it's like, yeah, scare me. And to scare me, you've got to go to places that will actually get me scared. And I know that's fun. I like horror movies too. A lot of people like horror movies. Mm -hmm. But the thing to remember is that we are doing this for fun. Like all, everybody is doing it for fun. That's the important thing. And the moment you cross that line, you break that boundary, it's not fun anymore. And I think we've all probably had an experience where we've played a video game, watched a movie, or even just a board game night. Something gets said, your feelings get hurt. And it just sticks with you. And you want to spook people, you want to have fun, you want to do all these amazing things, but no game is worth ruining a friendship. No game is worth actually hurting people. And I know there's a lot of people out here who are probably thinking, it's really hard to hurt me, I'm invincible. And it's like, yeah, that's not always true. And not everybody's the same person. And so if you want the game to be fun, there's gotta be that mutual respect and understanding. And even if you have to back off from something, like if something traumatic happens in the game and you think this would be so cool, you know, I'll have this, I'll do this. Like, um, is it okay if I quote like a like an example or? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, Darker Days Radio is is eighteen plus. Okay. Um, so we were in a horror game. It was um, um, uh, I forget what system it was. It was more like World of Darkness, but not really. Um, but um, we encountered a school, and we encountered uh, ghosts of dead children. And the eventual payoff was killing the evil uh, principal ghost that was capturing them. But we had a player who was a former teacher. And at, at first, she was like, oh, no, this is great, wonderful, awesome. But then with the political climate in the United States and everything, it was a slow burn. And at first, it was like, yeah, I'm great. This is a fun game. And then two hours later, this is not great. This game is awful. And you just don't want to hurt someone like that because... If four out of five people are having a lot of fun, but you really hurt the fifth person, it's not even one of those things where it's like, oh, brush it off, it'll be fine. It's more like, no, you've, it, your horror game was a horror to someone. And it's easy to scale back, back off, and then redo it. And you said, if I had known that, I would have changed my adventure. And, I, and he actually had a really good one. Um, has anybody seen the show Hell of a Boss? Yes. Take the scenario I just said and replace principal with CEO and the ghosts <laughs> with demons. Same kind of thing. Um, okay, so we're going to pause really quickly. I'm going to put you on the spotlight. Um, first of all, Sorry. please give us a round of hand. Yeah, yeah, round of applause, please. I got lost. Um, <laughs> I got lost. As, as you can see, we're a little yeah. um, So why don't you introduce yourself and sure. then um, uh, maybe talk to us about your favorite consent tools and safety tools and stuff like that so we can lead in and then continue the conversation. Okay, all right. So my name is Liz. I am part of Attack from Mars Games. I have a horror game called Summoned. Um, I also have a board game cafe that I run. Um, also apologize, I was majorly lost. <laughs> I didn't know where I was going. Um, but yeah, I mean, Honestly, so I make a lot of party games, um, not a lot of RPGs, but uh, I try to make my games as safe as possible, especially when it comes to party games, because there's such a fine line where you could cross it very easily. Um, like even in my game for a party game, I don't give the options of drinking. So like it just says take a drink. So you could give someone a shot of hot sauce, which you might want the shot besides the hot sauce. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, when it comes to role playing, uh, I mean, safe words. <laughs> I would safe words, you know, yeah. 
and you know who you're dealing with when it comes to playing a game with your friends. Like, you try to get to know everybody and try to put, like, your limits and boundaries up front before you start anything. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so now we're going to kind of go into, because a lot of people are here for, like, long-running horror campaigns. A lot of them have run, like, short campaigns. And for board games, there's actually legacy horror games. Yeah. So you can talk exactly <laughs> about that and maybe how you might translate that mm -hmm. and use that um, that aspect into, like, role-playing or further oh, yeah. type, of, type of games. So what I want to talk about is um, overall, like, how do you plan a long-term campaign for horror and... Like, what do you focus on? How do you do it? Is there any sort of like, like I like spreadsheets. I'm a spreadsheets <laughs> person. Um, I look like I have my life together. I don't, but <laughs> um, I like spreadsheets. So I like to use spreadsheets for the beats and stuff like that, that I use. But what do you guys use for, for planning a longer term campaign? Okay, so one, like, okay. I kind of ask a ton of questions at the beginning because that's just how I am. Yeah. Um, I will say I do have anxiety, so that's also why I ask the questions. But it's also like, hey, so your character, what's their day job? Or, you know, what's their favorite food? Um, in addition to getting, like, you know, like all the, the lines and veils, it's also like, hey, just what makes your character a person? And then I take notes, and then I'll look at all the notes, and I'll try to link them together so that, like, when I run horror games, I'm, like, a big fan of the slow build horror where, like, the first couple sessions is more like a mystery game. And then, you know, you're just going through it like, oh, yeah, you're at a haunted house. But why is the house haunted? Who are the mysterious people who are here? Before we get to the whole, like, the landslide, you know, monstrosity thing in the last act. But that lets me tailor it to the players. Because I always have the story I want to run, which is fun. But it's not just my story in the game. And while I'm, uh, you know, I'm kind of like the god, you know, the arbiter. And I am going to probably kill their characters at some point. <laughs> Especially if you love Call of Cthulhu, you know, it's... It happens. But it's just one of those things, too, where it's, it's just so much better. I mean, if everybody finds their favorite ingredient on the piece of pizza, they're just going to love the pizza. I mean, if they don't find their favorite ingredient, they'll still like it, probably, because it's pizza. But it just makes it much more personal, better, you know, better flavor to the game, sort of. Mm -hmm. And also, players will always surprise you, because I've had players who just out of nowhere, they're like, oh, no, I've decided I'm claustrophobic. And I'm like, ooh, that's interesting. <laughs> You're not going to get yeah. locked in a box later. <laughs> I mean, when it comes to board games, um, I actually just peeped out Final Girl. Because <laughs> oh, I've been yes. peeping at that for a while. Uh, and I love the whole layout of the game. It's amazing. Um, I love games that it's not the same story. Because every horror situation, you got a killer. If it's an imaginary killer or if it's like fifth sense where they're like, oh, there's no killer. It's just I've been dead the whole time. Um, I like games where it's like a physical being. Um, but that's my I love kind of gore and that kind of horror. And I know that that's a very unsafe game to play with a few people. Um, that's because I love, you know. I don't know, I guess I have more of the darker sense of humor when it comes with my friends, but a lot of people don't dig that. Uh, but I get bored when it comes to just spooky games, but that's on my end, so I never play any kind of game that's the same story. It's just, oh, we're going to do an edition of the house, the haunted house, and now you're scared. That bores me. Um, but yeah, I mean, when it comes to safety and playing or putting horror in any kind of game, 
uh, I give people a monster to fight. Like that's the whole thing you want to do at horror is you want to beat that monster and survive throughout the whole game. So for me, uh, I tend to be very sandboxy with what I like to run. Uh, I like that kind of idea of the world is happening regardless of what the characters are doing. And so it becomes really, for me, focusing on the setting. N know the story you want to tell. Uh, are you going to tell a camp? Are you going to get a campaign that's already been published, or are you going to make your own material? Start there. You know, if you're going to make your own material, then find the game system that is going to express that the best. You know, build out from there. Know what it is that you want to run. Uh, you don't have to hit the most popular, biggest games, and you don't have to tailor a game that isn't made to do something to do what you want. So know your setting, find, if you're gonna make your own campaign setting, or if you're gonna make your own adventure, your own, however you wanna express it, no, I like to make bullet points, I do. Uh, what are my big moments that I want to be happening in the story that I'm gonna drop in on people? So I have multiple of those, and I'm, I'm of the opinion that horror is, uh, it's emotional content, and everything else that we do in gaming of any sort uh, when we talk about uh, when we talk about action or adventure, we're not talking about an emotion. You know, when we talk about the emotion of horror, we are dealing with something that is true to a person that is going to cross a line, but it also gives us more to work with because anything can be horrific. It doesn't have to have demons. It doesn't have to have gore. It can be something as simple as, if I may, uh, somebody sticking their hand in a disposal. <laughs> Anything can be horrific. You drop in your bullet points, you know what your players can handle and can't handle, and you start from there. And then I also really like to take a moment to, uh, I, like the big, big ones I do are, for myself, are usually having to do with some kind of crime. And so I already go through my mind that the crime has already been committed. I choose who my victim is. And then I decide in my mind, how did they cover that up? And I come up with three tools and I drop that in. What are the three things that, they, that the players can uncover that will give them an idea of what happened? And all the while, because I'm sandboxing it, the villain knows somebody's looking into it. So you have, how are they interacting with the story? So that's kind of, I, I plan all that out of my head a, uh, ahead of time. That's kind of my thing. Uh, yeah, it gives me a little bit more to work with. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's really fine. Okay, so I want to talk about, like, how do you plan, like, even, like, an open-ended campaign? Like, people have been, there. there's some long-running games that have been going for 10, 15, 20 years. And, and you know, we hear it very common for D&D, but there's also long-term vampire games and long-term um, zombie games and stuff like that. How do you plan for that? How do you keep the horror going? I, that is one thing I always struggle with. So, and I've had long running uh, horror games before. I think the longest one I ran was about three years. But I guess for me, because, you know, as I told you earlier, I kind of plan the whole story in my head. Once I reach, like, you know, even with an open world game, once I reach the point of that story, you know, I then leave it to the players. But... It's not that I check out at that point. It's kind of like, oh, you know, you've reached the end of the movie. Well, now I guess we're rewinding it and replaying the movie. And it's like, don't you want to play the next movie or do something else? But 
well, one of my friends, he always talked about how he's played like the same vampire character for over 15 years. And he says, no, I'm just excited to see what more like horror or torments I can experience uh, next. And he said the key was to think of it as almost like um, uh, not so much a movie coming out, but like a comic book, like a horror mm-hmm. comic book. Okay. And he's like, you know, oh, in this one, it's like, oh, I'm fighting werewolves. You know, what the horror can come out of that. Okay. That makes sense. This is going to probably surprise you. Players. Uh, the story is one thing. The players are another. Can you have a table where people are going to sit down and want to play a story long term? Are they going to be able to come up with something beyond, you know, just I have a character sheet? And how long is it going to last? Because really, you can tell a story as long as you want or create a plan for as long as you want. But if you don't have the players that want to do that with you, it's going to end anyway. So for me, that's like, yeah. A long-term campaign is going to involve having players that maybe you have, for lack of a better word, an intimacy with, you know, a a rapport with, that you can, uh, you know, make that your goal. Honestly, I would just... Any kind of like campaign that I know my friends have ran, it's like you need a group of people that, like you said, are planning long run. They want to do the creativity part. Like they want to grow their characters. Um, Because if you have people that are there to just be like, okay, well here's the end game and now we're done. Like, so if you want to do a drawn out one, it honestly is uh, up to the people playing. So what I generally do is, um, and this is like a basic, basic formula of what I use when I start to plan out for writing or anything like that, is that I have where they have to find something. They have to help someone. They have to fight something that's smaller. And then there's the big, bad, evil guy. So there's four basic components. And you can plug that into a one-shot game where it's only a couple hours long you can spread that out and plug it into something longer where it takes them four sessions to find the thing and it takes them several sessions to find and help somebody you know so you can you can kind of use that and space it out so that when you get to the end the big bad evil guy may not actually necessarily be the big bad evil guy. Mm-hmm. He may he may be on, you know, if to use like Diablo terms, he may be one of the <laughs> lower level demons that you have to fight and now you have to keep going and how much horror perfect is that or Magnus Archives. Um, if you're a fan of that, like everything just kept getting worse and worse. <laughs> um, but they did it in really interesting and dynamic ways. But they use the same formula. If you really pay attention to the nitty gritty of it and break it down, they use the same formula in different ways. So it so you if you break down and like look at the base components, you just switch stuff around and you move it like post-it notes. That's like the, the quickest way to do things. Because I played a board game that had, uh, it was kind of like that. It was like kids on bikes, basically. Oh, yeah, where, kids on bikes is awesome. Yeah, like you just, uh, but they had cards where you had to collect all the materials and guess who the killer was. And then you could fight the big boss, but you might be fighting the wrong kind of monster with the wrong kind of tools. So now you have to redo everything, go back to the neighborhood, find all the <coughs> weapons, and go back to who you think you're fighting against. 
which is a long-running game, and it's something that you can never get bored with because you're still, it's all different monsters, and you're still trying to figure out how to defeat them, so. All right, so now I want to talk about um, um, when it comes to horror, things like there's cosmic horror, there's zombie horror, there's, you know, um, personal horror. Um, what genres are, do you like to dabble in? And what does that look like when it comes to a long-running campaign? Well, I'm... Uh, Go ahead. <laughs> when it comes to genres, like I said earlier, um, I know I like to run a lot of, like, psychological horrors, but, and, but I think my two go-tos a lot of the time is action horror and cosmic horror. And who here knows what action horror is? All right, action horror is more like The Mummy, uh, 1999 The Mummy, um, more pulpy, um, the heroes usually win at the end, um, it's more like the big, the big battle, you know, like the big battlefield with monsters everywhere, you know, hundreds of werewolves chasing you on a train going somewhere, um, cosmic horror is Lovecraftian, it's the easiest way to explain it, it's things that defy human comprehension, but you try to comprehend them anyways, usually to your demise, and I like to run both because um, in the two playing groups that I'm in, one, they just like to be heroes. Um, we're just a bunch of, like, we're, we're a bunch of queer kids who, you know, in our heart, we just want to win. Like, we love horror, but at the end of the day, you know, you just, you want to punch Dracula in his face. Yeah. <laughs> but when we sit down to play, uh, my other group, when we sit down to play Lovecraftian horror and cosmic horror, it's just like, we know we're going to lose. We're going to make a dent in it. But also, there's just a lot of fun, like, exploring the mysteries. And um, in our group, the moment that someone says, hey, there's a book in that room, everybody goes, a book? Because <laughs> in Lovecraft, nothing good happens from any book. Literally any book. Um, a friend of mine, he had a... His, actually, a friend of mine in his comic book, um, they're one of the characters he had, he said, oh, I'm going to survive this game. Why? Because I'm functionally illiterate. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah and sometimes it's jarring going back and forth um i remember once i charged the deep one because i thought oh i'm gonna take the deep one's head off and then i remembered it was a trails of cthulhu game and <laughs> oh no. i had a shovel and everything and uh, i think the deep one killed me with my own shovel but um <laughs> but yeah it's those are my go-to genres and there's a lot more and um really it's just that's why the session zero is so important with mm -hmm. the session zero you just sit down and ask people what they want to play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, like m many people for the horror genre, I started off in the whole world of darkness, you know, uh, the whole Camarilla, for those of y'all who used to do that, run with that group. Kind of, that's where I started. And it's very easy when you, uh, when you start from a character level to build out for a long-term mm -hmm. session. Uh, everybody, you know, is kind of used to that. But then when you're dealing with games like Cult Divinity Lost or Call of Cthulhu or a lot of these other games where it gets, you want to be a hero, it's just not going to work. And uh, yeah, it, for me, it's really about uh, character interactions at that point and having players play off each other and uh, having, you know, having a table where there's a diverse set of cast with very different skill groups and some of them are going to be in opposition. I, I, I love the interpersonal drama that can happen and how that can express in the game so and then of course the, you know they're fighting while you know the alien is coming down the hall to eat them they're <laughs> arguing about they're arguing about who was supposed to make dinner earlier you know? yeah 
my thing is I love demon and satanic horror I guess you could call it <laughs> but I also love zombie horror so um anything that involves me throwing my friends under the bus and killing the one that is annoying first to save my own life is very interesting to me um my friends hate playing with me by the way <laughs> I'm like weak man down go run uh so any kind of like you got to use your smarts to escape the situation uh it's all it's usually a zombie horror game that I'm in love with. Uh, that's usually my go-to. Anything with that or demons, where you have to like solve a puzzle to get the demon out and stuff like that. I like to I like to take inspiration from other games too. Um, and I mentioned this in one of the other panels. There's a game called Our Gods Are Dead. Um, if you haven't, it's it's kind of comedy horror yeah. um, because you 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 play clerics of a god, and you wake up on the day of your biggest festival for your god, and you realize that your god is dead because you have no powers, and now you have to shenanigan your way through the festival, <laughs> trying to trick everybody into thinking that your god is still alive, and they slowly start to find out what happens, and that's the horror. <laughs> And so I actually, because I love, I love playing it so much. I actually took that idea of your god being dead, and I flipped it into my D and D campaign, and my paladin's god started acting funny. Stuff started not acting, working right for him, and he realized that his god had been replaced by something else, and he was actually powering it. And it was my husband. He was convinced. <laughs> but he was so, he was like, oh my God, what have you done? <laughs> and I was like, God isn't there. You don't know where she is. <laughs> I actually had that happen to me in a game once where um, uh, I, it was, um, it was part of the apocalypse. And um, I was playing a cleric, a dwarven cleric of um, like, I think it was like a Cthulhu-esque deity. And then uh, we encountered a bunch of gnolls. And um, the Noel shaman, as I was fighting with him, his god manifested and actually used my spiritual connection to go and sever off my god's tentacle in this world. And soon I had no powers, but I had this chaotic hyena god in my head. Still no, no benefit to it, but imagine having like Ed from The Lion King just constantly. <laughs> <laughs> I you were going to say Ed. Go ahead. Well, one of the spanners of me that you mentioned earlier. Um, Sometimes the best horror you get in horror games actually comes from the conflict in the games. I mean, you were talking about that too. We're just like, it's fun messing with the players as the GM, as the player, and this is all, it involves also consent as well, but um, it's sometimes fun just to be like, you know, the odd man out and occasionally portray people. Like, um, in the, I'm in a Call of Cthulhu game right now, a Trail of Cthulhu game, and um, I'm the secret worshiper of Yig. And oh, you evil person. <laughs> I dig Yig. Um, but uh, no, the whole time where it's just like, um, I'm using a bunch of coincidences. Um, it seems like the bad guys are always finding us. And it just seems like, man, that cursed book keeps ending up in the satchel. How does that happen? And it's me the whole time. Just, and I'm really good at sleight of hand. So it's like, we're just going to throw that book away. Yeah, we should burn it. Get out of fire. Dust off. Put in purse. It's back. Um, okay. <laughs> But it's, 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 sometimes it can be a lot of fun. I mean, and players, if they're buying into it, if they know from a, in, at the beginning that it's, it's, you know, everybody's not friends necessarily, you'll see alliances form, alliances fall apart, 
And the monster actually, you know, is still the growing threat. I mean, five people fighting a giant monster, decent chance five people win. Three people fighting the monster and two people secretly doing a heist. <laughs> that makes it harder. And there's nothing worse than me like, okay, here's the plan. We're going to do all this. This is your part. This is your part. This is my part. And then you guys are left out in the wind while I'm running off with the treasure. <laughs> Yig told me to. <laughs> All right, so um, we are going to be, we are getting a little close on time. So what I want to do is um, I have talked a little bit about like where I find inspiration from things. So things like other games, um, uh, romance novels too, by the way. If you are one of those people that like the spicy romances or anything like that, the character ideas, the plots, and sometimes even the themes or settings are really fantastic pieces to take and use in your games. Take a spicy side out, unless that's the type of game you like to play and consent to playing. Um, but you can absolutely find really great stuff. And most of the time, your players don't also read romance novels, so they won't ever know that that's coming. <laughs> um, but I want everyone to kind of talk about like other like media, whether it's other role playing games, movies, music, um, where you draw inspiration from for creating things. Um, and, and planning out your, your horror games. Pulling it from other games is great. Uh, I, for, for me, like, if I really want to go deep into, like, screwing with people, it's Clive Barker. Anything yeah. by Clive Barker yeah. just hits right. And, uh, yeah, I, all of it. I, I, like, Thief of Always, I would love to run a game using that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So. Uh, which, if y'all don't know, Clive Barker in that book is all about a kid in the middle of summer getting whisked away to a mansion where all his wishes are granted, but he, it's slowly draining the life force of the children who go there. That is absolutely a kids on bike scenario type mm -hmm. of thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I get a lot of my inspiration. I know it's kind of super silly, but you know those one sentence prompts that were on Twitter for a while. Oh God, yeah, I love those. <laughs> Some of those are just perfect. And you know, it's just, and those never go into like my published work, but mm -hmm. when I run yeah. or I'm playing, sometimes it's really great. Like I really, really want to do something someday with that prompt of uh, mankind lands on the moon again. They find a cave, there's a dead human in there and there are four words on the wall. And I'm like, that's really cool when you think about it. And just, that just gives me a lot of ideas and, um, uh, or one is like you've been stalking a werewolf for a week. Uh, you shoot them full of silver bullets. There's a lot of blood everywhere. And then you find out they were never the werewolf and the werewolf is the, the, the sheriff. And I'm like, that's, oh my God, that's a whole adventure just right there. Mm -hmm. I get my inspiration from 80s horror. <laughs> um, and I say that just even, for example, I was watching Hellraiser and I got really into the Cenobites and... <laughs> If I could get the licensing, I would totally make like a Pokemon Hellraiser Cenobite card game. Because yes. you can make so many, right? Yes. And they have all backstories and special powers. They each, you know, even Jackhammer Head, he's got something to do. Um, I mean, some of the powers do suck. Like the CD dude, like no one wants. Maybe you could kill him off. But that's where I get most of my inspiration is uh, old 80s horror uh, most of it is like B horror, so all that I get my ideas for all my games. Even my party game, I got an idea from uh, 
it, I forgot the name of the movie, but it's where the guy sells basically all these items and it destroys people's lives. And I was like, wouldn't it be fun to have a game where you get cursed and you hate your friends? And I was like, I'm going to make that. So yeah, 80s horror, hands down. We have such Pika to show you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, so we're going to take some time to take some questions from everybody. So, um, and I do apologize, there are a lot of people here. Um, I have some time afterwards, and I don't know where my panelists need to be, but um, uh, we're not going to hang out in the hallway. What we're going to do is we're going to go to where the lobby where the, es where the elevators are, and we're going to go out there. If you guys want, if we don't get your question here, I will be out there. You are more than welcome to come and ask questions after in there. That way we're not hanging out in the hallway and blocking up traffic and stuff like that. I want to be respectful to everybody that's around here. So um, uh, who, does anyone have any questions? Because I have other, other things I could ask too. But yes, you. Hi. Um, so I was just wondering about, um, you know, you talk about the college video, those kind of systems yeah. where players are very helpless. What, how would you handle it if in one of those games, in the game you're running a horror campaign specifically, what if your players just, because they're really good at systems, they make a really powerful character, and it feels like they're not being threatened by anything? How would you kind of handle that character, or like how would you try and give them some kind of threat? Kill them. No, I'm just kidding. Well, kill them right away. No, so, <laughs> so the important thing to remember is that like Achilles got taken out from you know an arrow to his 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 ankle to Achilles' heel. It's that if the if the character is too powerful, if the character just shrugs off deep ones and trolls and everything else, start picking on the support network for the character. Like, be like, oh, hey, uh, you come, you get a letter from home. It's covered in blood on the inside saying, please come home now. That's something that would make, like, even Superman, like, just break Mach 5 to get home. So, um, but that's just generally how I would do it. Give them an NPC and then twist it. Give them an NPC, and I, yeah. And I would say, like, you can break down characters into physical, mental, social. Most likely they're going to be physically strong. Hit with the other things. <laughs> so. I agree with that. Yeah. Hit with mental. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. Yes. Uh, if you're a first-time jam for horror, how would you? How far deep into horror would you ease your party into when it's their first experience? Okay. Um, so the question is like, how when if you are your first-time GM with first-time horror players, how would you kind of ease them into that? I actually know how. Um, this is going to sound really silly, and I work with a lot of kids for my day job. Let them know at the very beginning that you they can back out at any time. And the reason why that's important is because people, you know, you want to be tough for your friends. No, I don't think, like, okay, just for me, speaking for me personally, sometimes you just sit there and you're sort of like, oh, that's really annoying me. I can't stand that noise, but I'm not going to flake out. I'm going to be strong. For people, like if you're doing a new game, if you want people to have a lot of fun, say, yeah, this is going to like push your limits. It's going to be dangerous. It's going to, I'm trying to scare you or make you panic. And if that's too much, come on, it's okay. It, we're all friends here. And then we can reapproach it the next Friday. You know, it's just, you know, just be casual about it. I mean, and people will be like, you know, like obviously don't like reward the players and be like, oh, I died. Can I have a take backseat? But just literally just be like, hey, you know what? No one thinks less of you. If this got too intense, then we're going to back off. We're going to talk about it next time. 
And even with like if they tap the X card, where if a player goes, no, that's too much, too fast, can't handle it, just reassess the situation. And, you know, maybe it's like, okay, your character gets knocked out. They wake up several hours later, but they get knocked out. And then they can explore the mystery. And don't do anything like creepy or, or mean to them while their character's knocked out. But yeah. definitely just have it be like, no, you're involved, you're engaged, and now you are part of the story. You have your own little thing because you have a tiny little mystery. It's like, how did I, how did I pass out? What's going on? And that, to me, is how you can ease people into it. And then before you know it, they're going to be like, no, I know what knocked me out, and I'm getting revenge. So. I would honestly get everyone's boundaries. But again, in a, in a horror game, you could get everyone's boundaries, and at some point, they're like, oh, this is a new one. Like, this is making me feel uncomfortable now, and it didn't before. Um, but like he said, just... Make sure you clarify the boundaries, and if it does happen, figure out a way to still involve them, but yet keep the game going. Test, test the waters too. Uh, you know, in gaming, there's that there's kind of that shallow end where you you're still dealing with the real world. You're you're still the friends at the table. You're still taught. You have the rule book. You're talking about the rules. You're not taking them in too deep. Check check the waters first, and then. I really recommend for that the green card, yellow card, red card system, where uh, basically they give you immediate feedback. Because I can tell you, there's nothing like when you're telling a story and somebody holds up that green card and they're like, "Oh yes, I love this. This is this is what I need. This is what I want in my story." And it's a great way to know we're easing them in. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah, they're getting into it. They're liking it. This is what they want. Versus the you know, and then when you hit that point, they they're starting to. Raise that yellow card, and they're like, okay, you're, you're going a little bit far. It's a great system to use outside of just being a great safety tool. And I will say session zero is also really important, and that addresses a lot of those things. So, Yes? Kind of along that line, because we all have the players that whenever they get uncomfortable, they like to use humor, and we're all there to have fun, <laughs> and they want to use humor. How, what are your good tips and tricks for bringing it back into the horror of that? Um, I'm the wrong person for this. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you ever seen the movie Cabin in the Woods? Yes. Yeah. Um, something like that, where um, you've got like the plucky characters, and they're saying all the one-liners, and they think they're invincible. Take the invincibility away from them. Like, you know, it's one thing to, like, you know, you're going to flip Cthulhu the bird and be like, ha-ha, I just flipped <laughs> off an elder god, and be like, well, Cthulhu's doing nothing because now he's going to torture you for the next year, and then you just br you break the character that way. And also sometimes... The humor is just great. Like, you know, even in a lot of horror movies, you know, sometimes it's great to laugh because, you know, it's, it lets you release the negative energy. And there are times when, like, and I was on a panel where we talked about D&D. &D, sometimes you really just need to take a step back and be like, we're being hunted by werewolves, giant dogmen. Do we throw them a bone? <laughs> like, the characters will know that they're doomed. They know that there's a big problem. But then it's just kind of like, you know what? We need that brevity, you know, so... Tables are a lot like bands. I know this, not everybody has you know, musical experience, but I'm gonna say this. Uh, tables are a lot like a band. You're taking individual people from different backgrounds, different ways of thinking, different mindsets, to all come together to make music together. And it's gonna be different every time based on the people that are in there. And same, same with horror gaming, same with a lot of things. You get enough people at a table, I, there are times I've wanted a drum, dramatic story where people show up in costume and there's that one person that is going to show up, uh, you know, and they are something completely outlandish. Uh, but the thing is, the question is, and I, it's 
I, I have a different mindset probably than a lot of people, but I'm like, if it doesn't work for your table, talk to them. And if it still doesn't work for your table, understand not every table's for you. You know, and that's, it's one of the hardest things as adults. We, we sometimes think our tables are our friendships. The table's a game. Game's a vehicle for, ha for having fun. Not every table's for everybody, so. And so one of my favorite scenes in a movie that illustrates this kind of point um, is from, I think it's Scream 2, where one of the characters is being chased down the stairs by Ghostface, and there's a really horrible voiceover of where he says, oh, you motherfucker, and he continues to be chased, and is still horribly murdered by the end of that. Mm -hmm. But like the way that it's dubbed over and just the whole scene, it's just, it, the way it's the it's very funny pacing with that and so it kind of breaks that oh my god oh my god moment because you're like oh that was funny <laughs> and then you're like oh oh he's getting stabbed <laughs> so you could still have that those brevity moments while still being chased by things and still like having that that you know entity there and not leaving because you're laughing, so. Yeah, I totally agree. You could bring it back. Um, I'll also quote Scream. So like when Parker Posey gets murdered and she's like on the fax machine and it's like kind of goofy, but then she's gonna die. Um, so then it's not funny anymore. But uh, you could always bring it back to the horror. You could, uh, if someone tends to have like one-liners all the time, they tend to dwindle it down once they're getting like bashed and limbs are getting cut off and stuff like that <laughs> I, I like dog soldiers at the very end when one of the soldiers is being killed by a werewolf and just as he's dying he goes I hope I give you the shits <laughs> <laughs> alright um, I have time for one more question and then I'm, I'm going to have everybody plug their socials and stuff like that so yes um, I feel like with horror like, tone is very important yes. keeping that tone and with long form I feel like it's really hard week to week and especially over a long period of time to keep that tone, like it just starts to dull. Do you have any tips on how to like, keep it that long term or even week to week? Um, were you at my 301 panel? Not really. Okay, we did talk about that. Um, but I'm gonna let this, pan this panel also answer that question because I'm sure there are a lot of you that want that answer too. So the question is, how do you keep tone through a long running campaign? This might be a little harder for you. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, for me, I, I, I know this sounds like silly, but um, sometimes repetitiveness, where um, if the horror's like a vampire, you play into the tropes. And I know after a certain point, you know, it's like we know it's a vampire, but it's like, yeah, but you see a spooky mist with a face appear in the fog. And that reminds people that, you know, they could have been spending all day trying to get revenge on like a businessman or managing like their contacts or something. But then it's like, oh, no, it's still a vampire, still powerful. And... You don't need to spam it. Like, if you're doing, like, an ancient Egypt game, like a mummy's coming, you don't need to have, like, you know, linens everywhere and scarabs. But for, like, a, a demon game mm -hmm. where it could be, like, we've banished the demon, the demon's gone forever, now we get to chill and relax and be like, yeah, but when you go back to your car and you breathe on, like, uh, fog, you briefly see a hand going towards your neck. And I stole that from a movie I saw, yeah. actually. <laughs> um, but that's just how I would do it. I, you know, it's kind of a hard question for me because I... The vast majority of things that I'm involved in now are recorded. And so pretty much it comes down to, I go back and I listen to my recordings of me GMing. 
and if I don't like what I hear or what I need to change, I know what I need to do. So, but not every table wants to be recorded, straight up, not every table. I've got lots of friends in games where they're like, nah, don't, don't do it. So that's one thing I do. I have no answer to that question. <laughs> I, I, I love the honesty, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna have you guys plug your socials where people can find you, then I want you to give one recommendation of an RPG, board game, or any sort of resource that they can find here to purchase. Um, preferably that you didn't work on. <laughs> so what am I supposed to do? So, <laughs> but, but if you wanna plug one that you worked on and one that you didn't work on, that's totally fine. So. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, wow. So anyway, I'll, I'll start off with socials. So my name is John Thompson. Uh, you can find me on socials anywhere personally as Passion Nerdly. That is all one word, Passion Nerdly. That is me. Uh, Rook and Rasp is also the company I'm with. And Rook and Rasp on YouTube, Twitch, uh, Instagram, Facebook, you name it. It's out there for Rook and Rasp, and that's where we do our thing. And RookandRasp.com is our website. Uh, books I would recommend. Uh, for me, if you're trying to plan something and you want to make a campaign, weirdly enough, I, I think it's like chapter 32 of the Tolis Guide uh, has a wonderful outline. You have to get to the whole back of the book. That's a really great outline of how to write out adventures and come up with a, something by Monty Cook. And I, I actually really love it. It's in fantasy, but it still works really well for everything else. And then... Uh, the only other game I would plug besides that is, uh, you know, uh, Cult Divinity Lost is a great resource right now for also, and go check out YouTube. Don't, not, not just Rick and Rass. There's a group out there that talks about uh, consent gaming and everything else for Cult Divinity Lost. Awesome resource, YouTube, go, go to it, so, yeah. Um, you can find me on um, Twitter. I'm not saying X as uh, JK Myth. Um, I'm also on Blue Sky as Triceratops. I'm more active over there. And a game that I would recommend that I think is just a lot of fun, and I'm pretty sure you can find in the hall, is Changeling the Lost, yes. which is a dark fae-inspired horror game from Onyx Path. And um, you play as a changeling, which is a being where you were human. You got abducted by the fae. You lived in the realm for a long time. You are like a servant or a butler or a decoration, and you've made it back to Earth, but you're still changed forever, and the, the game has so many ways that you can go, and your former boss slash overlord slash slave owner is going to come and get you, so it's, it's a lot of fun. Well, you can see uh, see everything that I do at Attack from Mars Games, but it's M A R R S, and no, I didn't misspell it. It's my last name. Uh, <laughs> and you said we could play our own games after another plug, right? Yes. Well, you could get summoned uh, at the I Indie I G D N and I G N. Wow, the abbreviations is killing me here. But I'm at two booths actually in my game. But there's an RPG game from Imagine Games. I'm going to plug them. If you're beginning in RPG or you have friends that are like little, they don't want to do a whole character sheet, the game is amazing. It comes with a Jenga set, and it has bad situations and good situations. The games usually run around at the most 30 minutes, and as soon as that thing lands, you start a new game. But it gives them the experience. You already have characters. You already have a story. You're roomies with death. 
and he makes your life hell. But it's a great game. It's called Rest in Pieces. So definitely check it out. Okay, and my socials are Body and Soul 152 everywhere. Um, what I would like for everyone to do is um, we have to get out of here because there is another panel after. Please bring your tickets up here. If you have other questions, meet us out by the elevators in the area over there. Thank you Thank so you much, so everybody. Thank you all. Thank you.